Hello and welcome. So everybody is on. So thank you to well, thank you to everybody for, for, for coming on. There's a few people just joining in, so that's fantastic. Um, we have a lot of first-time investors, I think. Certainly some people we've not worked with before and quite a lot of people who have already uh, already been in these seminars and, and already worked with, uh, with us in the past. So look, <clears throat> again, thank you for being on time. And just a bit of background, my name is Mark Pearson. As you're, some of you are familiar with, I'm a director within the property sector, We're involved in com uh, a company that's both um, sourcing products, so from land sourcing all the way through to sourcing developments, large portfolios. We also are very, very highly regarded in the industry for our due diligence, which is both in terms of the due diligence on the project itself, so is the is the is the building itself structurally sound you know ultimately we are all um trained as surveyors initially um although my mrics seems like quite a long time ago now um but so structurally but also from a data aspect we're one of the only companies who have data staff so staff who are uh, specialists in artificial intelligence and machine learning what they do is they're able to predict uh, future property values, but also they're able to isolate parts of the UK where we should be focusing, etc. So the reason I say this is part of the part of the expectation of this seminar and hopefully the seminars ongoing, if they're as successful as this in terms of signups, we will continue to do them is the first thing that I really like to do is give you a background on the basics of how you can start to predict some um, property prices yourself. Obviously, we'd like you to come and work with us at some point, but to start off with, understand, well, where do these numbers come from? How can you do a little bit of that yourself? You're obviously not gonna be able to do the same as a machine learning or artificial intelligence specialist, unless that is your background, <laughs> in which case, you know, come, come and join us. Um, we work with the likes of, um, uh, well, some universities in the UK. So we work with some universities, also some specialists outside the company. And then we do our, we work with these huge, big AWS servers, which run numbers constantly for us. And we can ask it questions, but it also asks us questions or, or feeds us back information that we hadn't really considered before. So it's really exciting stuff. I'm going to try and present to you a little bit about what we, how you can look for that as well. So if you're not using our service, we'll at least get your head around it, what, what type of things to look for. Some resources online, vast majority of this information is available online now, so you can get a lot of that. So we're going to go through that. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, once we've gone through the basics of how to, you know, how will a property increase in value, what's going to go on with property, then we can start looking at how to access data. And then ultimately, I'll tell you a little bit about our views on the market and also what sort of areas we are looking at in the UK for 2021. Um, so the first thing that you will all be accustomed to is sentiment. So what we're going to first do is just have a quick look at just a, a brief outline of what other people are saying. So let me share my uh, share my screen here. Um, and we'll try and do a little bit of uh, share screening, screen sharing. 
um, <laughs> during the uh, during this process. So again, um, you know, obviously the property prices soaring, what have you, in 2020. But really, what we're what we're looking at is 2021. So again, 2020 was was fascinating, really interesting year within our industry. I know it's been tricky within various, um, you know. Well, it's been, the globe has been a tricky place during 2020, but UK property prices were incredibly strong. We had what the press were terming a, um, a micro bubble. So really, I mean, we, we had, we were seeing sort of 8% property growth in places. Um, and we're going to go through why potentially that was exaggerated a little bit in terms of the market. We'll go through that in a second, but we want to just look at what other people are saying first. So, yeah, look, the, um, partly within our industry and certainly from what I saw, although we had the obviously the stamp duty piece that was there, that, that was a big part of it, you know, in terms of, you know, when you get a stamp duty discount, as long as you purchase your property before March of this year, that, that sort of lit the flame a little bit, lit the torch paper, as it were. But also more um, important factors were things like really cheap borrowing. Um, that was really important. The UK's structure uh, is really important in terms of the way that, you know, supply demand, affordability, access to money is in the UK, which we're going to go through in a second. These were all um, facets that, that really pushed the, the UK market on. But also, you know, ultimately, if you've got money in your bank account, you need to invest it somewhere. You can't, with, with, with lending being so low, also means saving so low. So the, you know, this sort of lending rate has been is set so low that, you know, your, the money in your bank is actually losing, losing money against inflation. Again, depending where you are in the UK, uh, sorry, where you are in the world, that, that differs because I have clients you know, commodities driven countries where, you know, you're seeing 18, 20% inflation plus, you know, we work heavily in, for instance, Zimbabwe, which as we all know, has got massive inflation, you know, but also an awful lot of different commodities um, based countries where inflation's going up um, during the course of 2021, they're less able to stimulate their economy. Therefore, if you're an investor, with us now online, which I see, you know, quite a lot of you who are who are not based in the UK. It's also, you know, 2020 was was a point where people were thinking, right, I'm going to have to start to move my, my money into either dollars or pounds. And so, you know, the, the, the UK property market picked up from that. UK property is certainly and, and rightly, in my opinion, seen as, uh, you know, a fairly safe investment, obviously, so long as you do the right things. Um, and, and comparative, unless you're really quite comfortable with equities or um, Forex trading, you know, property seemed like quite a straightforward way to, uh, to way to invest. Also, we had a lot of Hong Kong investors and I noticed again, a lot of people in, in Asia are on at the moment. So, you know, huge amount of Hong Kong investors, you know, political reasons behind that, but we had, we had a lot of investors from Hong Kong. <clears throat> and so all of these things have seen what, what we had, which was the, the highest volume of transactions that we'd had in, in the industry in 12 years. So it's a very, very successful year for us within the industry. It's meant that pretty much every um, conveyancing solicitor, every mortgage broker are stacked with work um, because, you know, just the, the volume of transactions that went through were huge. Um, it's had some knock-on effects in the market from 2020 in the sense that there's, 
you know, some, some valuers who are maybe a little bit exposed. They've done a lot of valuations, so they're exposed with their insurance. So we're seeing, you know, some down valuations because of that. Um, and, but look, we, we can go in, we can go into that in a little bit when we go through data and when, when I tell you how you can start to understand yourself, where you believe the market should be, but not just the market overall, which is not important when, well, it's important that the UK is performing well overall, but for us, we're investing in one location. And again, we're going to go through how to highlight locations and understand whether they are good places to invest. So in terms of um, the property prices in 2021, I think, um, here we go, the Guardian saying growth is slowing. <clears throat> uh, there's pent-up demand, stamp duty holiday. Yeah, again, pent-up demand is another aspect of 2020 being strong. Again, with the um, we had a couple of months there where we couldn't do any valuations on properties. So there was, a, there was, there was people holding back. Um, from being able to purchase who all then dropped in in sort of the, the second half of the year. Um, we probably we're not going to see that again, but the rest of the, the rest of the parts of the market and, and why that's performing is still the same. Um, I think the most ambitious growth uh, or the higher of the major sort of predictors is about 4% overall growth next year in the UK um, with the lower ones looking at one, 2% growth in the UK next year. So, that's sort of where the press sit. We can also pull out our, you know, um, with ourselves. We also have our own predictions. So, you know, please feel free um, to, to reach out to us for our, our own predictions. Um, we obviously release those to the press as well. And the press picks up on quite a lot of that. So our, our own predictions, which we traditionally on these sorts of seminars, we go through um, with uh, our private wealth firms, our um, funds also that invest through us. And also we can go through those together in a little bit when we go through those. But yeah, the press are basically saying that the market will be up, but a little bit slow next year. Again, what we want to do in terms of our investment strategy is attempt to invest around the effectively invest around the, um, the the areas which are going to grow the most. So if the market, for instance, if the UK market averaged at two, 3%, there's going to be areas of the UK growing at 7% and areas of the UK growing at 1% or negative. So um, again, this is part of what we need to do. It's really quite simple to get the basics of it, whereby you can have a really basic high level view of what sort of areas you want to focus on, after which then you can speak to us and we can really knuckle down on, on where you should be within that. But equally, you know, you can just come to us direct. Uh, hopefully what I can give you here is some understanding of why so many people, employers, why such high level funds and, you know, um, the major investors in the UK, whether that be um, uh, independent investors or, or part, of, uh, part of companies or part of governments, why they come to us and ask our opinion on these sorts of things. Um, and hopefully showing you some of this can give you some trust in that. Um, so look, how um, the, the press is a major part of it, but how do we start to look at our um, the, the valuations ourselves? How do we start to understand what areas of the UK we want to invest in? If the market, if you believe the market's going to go down because you've looked at this data and, and, and that's what you come to, then okay, well, it, there's no point in arguing, well, I want to wait for the market to drop unless you know, well, what price does it need to drop at, drop to for you to invest? Equally, if the market is growing, we want to make sure that we, we, we've been able to 
make the most of that growth. So we're buying in at the right prices. We are buying in at the areas with the biggest likelihood of growth, etc. So th there's a few there's a few key aspects, and, and without you know, this is for some people certainly on um, who've done quite a bit of work with us before. This might be quite basic, but we need to go through this because the, the whole purpose of this. Uh, seminar is for us to um, give it the real basic uh, introduction to, to people who have not who are not part of the industry. So, look the the first the, the things that we'd look for for to, to be confident of a of a market growth in in any country would be affordability is primary, <clears throat> affordability, supply and demand, and access to lending. Now, simplistic view, but it, if you get these three things right. You're going to make money in property, you know, and, and you're you're going to reduce any you know any losses to absolute minimal, if any at all. So I think so long as you're so long as and in fact actually if you nailed all of these, you wouldn't lose any money. You constantly make money. I think the, the important thing is is reading your data correctly and making sure that you're you're focusing on the right areas of the UK. So affordability, supply and demand, and access to lending are our primary ones. And then we'll get onto sentiment after that because consumer sentiment, although it's important, and we'll explain why what's happened in 2020 and what will happen this year with sentiment, potentially uh, some property price drops for certain quarters of this year, which we'll go through in a second. But um, consumer confidence is important in the sense that we, we can predict what's going to happen with property. Sometimes we can take advantage of it. We don't necessarily want to buy with sentiment all the time because <clears throat> what it can mean is that we're, we're always buying at the top of the market and selling at the bottom and it's not exactly the the route that to, to make the most money so the most important factors that we will look at is actually what what's true value of the property or, or fair value as, as we call it within data analysis so what should the property be valued at if sentiment's below that then you know we know where we should be buying at if sentiment's above that, we also want to, you know, we will maybe offer below where the sentiment is going. So again, these are important facets, but um, we'll, we'll leave sentiment to the end and I'll tell you how to, there is actually some ways that we within the industry look, try and understand sentiment without spending huge amounts of money on, you know, um, these analytics companies that can tell us that. So, but the first thing is, and I'm going to show you some, some uh, resources online now as well. So it's going to be a little bit of screen sharing here. Um, to try and help you out just so when you come off this you can go off and, and have a look if you're confident with excel it's really quite useful if you're not confident with excel just give me an email give us a call one of my uh, one of my colleagues can walk you through some bits or just share our data with you um but for the purpose of people those of you who are a little bit shy at the moment um you know let's let's work through some of these um ways that you can resource yourself so first and foremost affordability clearly Affordability is a really important factor. I think in terms of people who are arguing for a potential market drop next year, sort of against some of the um, some of the economic forecasts, um, I think the main thing that people are saying is people are going to lose their jobs due to the pandemic. Um, and that will have a knock-on effect to affordability. So um, it's an important aspect. Uh, affordability, we, we look at for property price growth because if a particular postcode of the UK, so for, for, for now we're expecting that you're gonna be investing in the UK. So each, each part of the UK is broken down with postcodes for those of you who are unfamiliar with the country um, and you know areas, um, 
so the, these locations within there so towns cities postcodes what have you so but within a within, when i talk about postcode locations i don't mean the um the, the the end bit i just mean the first bit so for manchester it's m1 m2 m3 m15 etc birmingham b1 b2 etc so that's what when i talk about postcode locations that's what i'm saying so it's quite a small area of the uk we like to look at so we like to pull these areas out and understand them as best we can if for instance a an area of the uk is growing in terms of people's wealth is growing you will generally expect that rent and property prices will grow as well, right? That clearly, this is one aspect. There's other points that come with that. But if we are seeing an area of the UK growing quicker than other areas, it's a really good sign for us to then start exploring into the points that we were we were mentioning in terms of supply and demand, access to lending, etc. Um, so, affordability is a, a really important part of this. One, one thing that we should look for, um, and before we go into affordability is, uh, and, and me showing you where to get that from, is also showing you just a little bit about how we can access property prices. Um, so I'm just going to, uh, let me get this up. Uh, so what I'm just gonna show you now on my screen, let me share that. So just before I was about to drop straight into affordability there. So we've got affordability, supply and demand and access to lending, which is our key factors, but at a very, very um, simple level, we want to, I mean, the, the, the track record of an area at very, very basics is what's historically happened within an area is likely to happen next year and the year after, this year, next year, the year after. So without going too complex a really high level view you can pull off is just having a look at sold house prices so again you can get them off us we have really very complex house prices where we, we look into the square footage of every sold price in the uk which gives us it's important because you can look at the number of bedrooms how big the property is etc excuse me um etc but for now, if you just want to get, a, get a, a real sort of high level view of, of what's going on with property in your area or areas you're looking to invest, come on this government website here and start a search. Really straightforward. Um, you know, here's some areas that I've been looking at, but really straightforward, pick a town or city. So Manchester, um, property type. Do you want overall? Do you want to, what do you want to look at? Um, you want to take off, a, you know, unless you're looking at some office or, or, or strange sorts of properties, get rid of other because we just want to, we want to look at main properties. If you're investing in flats, for instance, you, you might just take flat, you know, you might just work with one of these, but for the purpose of this, we'll look at it. Um, new build and not new build, important because you'd expect new builds to be more expensive because, you know, it might cost £70,000 to refurbish a property. So you expect a new build to be that much more or 20000 whatever it happens to be because of the size. And if you're looking at new build properties, then, you know, have a look at these, have a look at what new build properties are selling for in the area of whatever development you're looking at. Uh, estate type, again, freehold and leasehold. You've probably seen in the press, just briefly on the, on the old leasehold, that the government's looking to put forward um, or the government has put forward that um, leaseholders can now extend their lease by 990 years 
and have a zero pounds ground rent. Absolutely fantastic news for the UK property sector, in my opinion, um, because for some people who didn't quite understand this, you know, archaic um, system within the UK, um, it, it was confusing for international investors. So people people who didn't know the Leasehold Reform Act um, weren't unaware that you could extend leases, et cetera, or you had a right to extend your lease. This just clears that up, you know, 990 year leases and no ground rent. Also for, and we won't touch on it now, but we can go through it in other seminars. When, when you actually break down the due diligence of a property, it's really important that we, that we look at ground rent. It's a, it's a massive factor of, 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 um, of the due diligence within there. So, but just for the purpose of this, you know, freehold and leasehold here, um, transaction category, I mean, really you just want standard. And then you can pick out your dates. So whichever dates you want, ideally you might want to look at a five year period um, for a fairly, fairly good um, outline of property prices. Um, for the purpose of this, we won't, we won't run this off because it's a, it's a fairly substantial report, but if you're confident with, um, with Excel, you can pull the, pull the report off, use a pivot table, click on average prices and just look at the average price growth over a period of um, five years for every single postcode within Manchester. You, you can do that for every single area of the UK if you wish. Try not to um, download the whole data set because it might crash your computer. But look, it's a, it's a decent place for you to start and look at historic um, figures. <clears throat> There's one thing about super forecasters, people who are incredible at forecasting and um, property markets. The, the one thing that they have in common is that they start with, you start with what's historically happened there. And then what we start to do is add on to that historical data information we, we learn. So um, we, we add on, for instance, the affordability increases, the all these different pieces that we're gonna go through after, add that on to the baseline of what's happened over the last 10 years in that postcode, what's happened over the last five years in that postcode. Because that's that's the you know that that's the best trend for us to start from. Okay, so let's go straight into affordability. So one of the key factors is affordability. When we're looking at affordability in property, what you want to be looking for is gross disposable household income. So uh, gross disposable household income is effectively a, you know what what people have disposable, as you as you guess from the from the term, and um, what you have disposable at the end of the year average per postcode. Now there's two things that we want to look with at gross disposable household income. Um, it's more, first of all, it's more, it's better than average salary because average salary doesn't take into account um, the household. <clears throat> so we don't know whether there's one person working there or two. Um, throughout the UK, there's different uh, breakdowns. So what, if you break down property demographics in, for instance, the Northeast of England, um, or the very north of Scotland, for instance, it's very, very different um, number of people working in each household compared to central London, for example. So what, what if you look at average salary, sometimes that can distort your uh, understanding of a market. Gross disposable household income gives a better understanding of this. Um, it also, the beauty of gross disposable household income is it takes into account where you live and not where you work. So when we're, as property investors, when we're trying to target an area of the UK to, to invest in, 
we're targeting where they live and not where they work. And we're starting to see when people start moving to an area, you know, an area is being gentrified as the terminology is in the UK, you know, an area is becoming wealthier. Um, we can see that quite clearly with gross disposable household income. And in itself, seeing growth in gross disposable household income asks questions. So for instance, if it starts suddenly, the gross disposable household income in an area starts growing significantly, we'll look at it and say, well, look, what's happening here? It might be that a new transport link has started there. It might be that a new company started there, you know, new headquarters, something along those lines. So it raises lots of questions for us. It's a great place to start. So for affordability, that's what I'd look, look at if I was you. And you can pull it off Office of National Statistics. Some of the data sets out of date. So you can ask us for the, for the newer, um, newer um, uh, statistics. But ultimately, you want to do one of two things. And I'll try and show you on this um, file. I'll share my screen with you again on this file here. Um, where are we? Data sets. Um, So what you'll do is you'll get the data set, you can download it. Let me show you this. And it will look something like this. So what you'll see is um, the contents from the government report um, and you want GDHI per head of population. Um, and this will give you figures, right? So very simply, you can do a, you know, you can do a calculation. If you want to look at what it, what it grew over that year, you can do that one divided by that, or, you know, you can do it over whatever, 10 years, um, where are we, 10 years, you know, look at growth figures, do that by, Uh, you can do that by all of them. Looks like we've got something needs a bit cleaning here, but you get the idea, right? So you can start to um, you can start to do your your little your formula and start to start to run these down, and ultimately you can start seeing which places are growing the quickest. So you might do a you might look at it over ten years, you might look at it over two years, um, and start to see which areas of the UK are, are growing um, the quickest. Let me, um, I can also show you this, which we did actually with a, with a client of mine, um, where I was, I was actually showing her the same thing. <clears throat> so you can see here, which is an example of the sort of thing that we were doing together. I was, I was actually showing one of my clients a bit of background, how exactly the same as the seminar, how it's best to sort of start to predict prices. And you can see here, she was actually looking specifically at Midlands and, and sort of South, but we included Manchester just for the um, gross disposable household incomes. You can look at, well, what was, the, what was the average growth? What was the growth, sort of more recent growth? And start to look at well, well what effect does that have um what's going on in these certain areas you know there's these certain places that you'd expect to grow but then there's other areas where maybe i mean it might be a surprise to you you know that why why is people's earnings growing so much here what is going on in these locations it starts to highlight locations for you 
um, which are really important to look at. So that's gross disposable household income. My, um, we can add that into some of our uh, some, some of our understanding, so we can start to look at gross disposable household income. Um, what, what you want to be seeing is that a particular area is growing in value. Um, and let me find this also. So yeah, you want you want to see that uh, an area is growing in value. That the sorry, bear with me. Yeah, so the area is growing in value, but also it, you're seeing consistent growth. But you are also seeing you're seeing consistent growth, but you're also seeing a, so growth over ten years, but also seeing growth over the last five years, three years, maybe one or two years, it, it growing a little bit quicker. It starts to beg the question: Well, what what is happening in that area? Um, other, but when when you get into that, and you for those of you who are already familiar with gross disposable household income, one other element that you might want to start to look at to to further improve your your understanding is productivity per hour worked because um, as productivity per hour worked increases that has a knock-on effect to gross disposable household income further down the line so you can then start to predict 10 years ahead um, and further in terms of where that um, particular area of the UK is going to be you can also start to predict then with that is which postcode areas of the UK or which cities which towns are going to increase um, in terms of affordability and what the table will look like, you know, whether X town will actually have more disposable income than Y town and all these different things that you can start to play with. And, and these are sorts of things that we look at as well. Um, gross disposable household income is really important to, to back your numbers against inflation, as you probably expect, you know, just because you're actually earning more money doesn't mean the value of that money is higher. So. Um, just because, you know, certain years you go historically when inflation was high um, and it, it looks like gross disposable household income is growing. Well, you need to, you need to, you know, take inflation away from that and see it after inflation. Otherwise, you, you'll start to predict property prices incorrectly. So otherwise, what you'll see is you'll, you'll be expecting prices to grow faster than they actually are. So take into account inflation for those of you a bit more advanced. Um, and then the, the other factor that everybody should be looking at as well is unemployment rate. So is unemployment rate increasing? Is it decreasing? Um, again, don't do that as a fixed number. Do it as a, as a percentage of population. Otherwise, you're going to get your, your numbers incorrect because obviously as, the, as populations increase, so should unemployment, but the unemployment percentage shouldn't increase. So um, these are some other factors with affordability. So affordability is our first one. I've rattled through that. <clears throat> Hopefully, you've got some some idea of affordability. Again, look, we've got um, we've got Q and A at the end of this, so please feel free to to ask any questions that you have on that, um, and we we can go through anything else picked up. Equally, just drop me an email, Mark at baroncabot.com. Uh, you can ask me any questions. I can email you back some of this data, some of the links, etc. And what what I'll do is everybody that's on. Um, online today, one of my, my colleague, I'll get my colleague to send out all of the links that we've gone through today. So that's affordability. Second one, obviously, like with any product um, in the world, um, I think, I, I can't think of any that this doesn't apply to, but uh, supply and demand. So again, um, one of the major things that I always hear is, um, is X cities oversupplied, you know, and, and more recently, because there's been a lot of advertising and, and a lot of construction in fairness is, 
Um, people are of the opinion that Birmingham is oversupplied or Manchester is oversupplied. Um, and I think there's there's definitely questions with that. And I think it's I think it's it's a very, very sensible question to be asking. Um, I think some of the frustrations, certainly within the um, more, uh, I'd say more uh, novice investor is that because they see a huge volume of, of builds, they presume that means that there's an oversupply. Um, and I think it's, again, this is where it's important to actually know your numbers <clears throat> rather than just, you know, because, you know, your friend or whoever said, you know, there's, there's a load of uh, new properties that, you know, we, we don't just take that as, as it's oversupplied. So, Again, I mean, when I was um, studying economics as part of my property, um, so I did economics at university as part of my you know, property course to become a chartered surveyor. Um, one of, I think, our, our economics teacher at the time um, had said, you know, if there's more than eight cranes in the city, you know, if you look in the sky in a the city, there's more than eight cranes, you're going to have an oversupply. Now, look, these, these things change because since then, you know, populations increase dramatically. You know, you look at somewhere like Birmingham or Manchester, New York, you know, I think Greater Birmingham, 35,000 new people moving there every single year. Um, you know, that's an awful lot of property. If you imagine that 150 units in a sort of medium development, that's an awful lot of property to be built to be able to supply these people. Most of, most of you know that UK is historically undersupplied, which was just part of the reason why property prices continuously increase is that, you know, down to partly down to planning and permission being quite slow in the UK. <clears throat> um, and then since we privatized, you know, there's no more um, council housing. Ever since then, you know, we've, we've been behind on supply. So there's always been more demand, I think 130,000 across the whole of the UK, we are short every single year in terms of property and and as you'd expect with the slowdowns in terms of um in terms of building predominantly down to um you know in terms of although people can be on site at the moment in building that there, there has been some slowdowns from the supply side so um so supplying plaster um you know plasterboard bricks etc to the property sector can, has slowed down a little bit during the covid which meant some prop developments have slowed down. So actually the delivery um, of property into the UK has been even slower. So there's even bigger demand at the moment than there was before with the lower supply. So again, how do we how do we look into this? How do we look at this on a city by city basis? Um, I've just opened up another screen there. So we can... So there's a few things that we can look at with in terms of um, supply and demand. One good one to look at is long-term vacant dwellings. So we look at this quite regularly and, and get the updates quite regularly, but the long-term vacant dwellings, what I've done here is I've just pulled off prior to this call. Hopefully everybody can see that. Um, just pulled off prior to this call the uh, some cities here probably some of the, the the main cities that we'd be looking at so again what we can do is we can get the 2019 figures 2020 figures should come out <clears throat> relatively soon um so we can get the 2019 figures we can we can do quite a lot with this because we again we can see the rate so for instance manchester had you know here you go. Here's how many vacant dwellings were, were there in 2004. 
here's how many there are there were in 2019. Um, now, so you can see that how much these have reduced in each city or increased in each city. Um, but then what we can also do is we can drag off, you know, with a little bit of a small amount of work, what you can do is you can add the population figures in and then get that as a percentage of the population. So in if we use 2019 figures here, you know, um, Manchester and Birmingham, which are the two that are referenced and the two that I hear the most, there's an oversupply, um, have some fairly low um, vacant properties compared to population. The reason we look at long-term vacancy is that your vacancy rate in something like an Airbnb is expected to be higher because of you know the turnover of people weekly. Um, I think an Airbnb, like a good Airbnb, you'll have 60, 70% occupancy rate, whereas a good city in terms of long-term um, long-term contracts, you, you can be on 98, 99, you know, 99.5% occupancy. So, so we only use that. We also don't look at local authority um occupancy rates um which you can see down here the reason being is we don't look at local authority because it's not the market we're in we can't affect that um it doesn't tend to have a huge effect on the on the private residential market so again looking at um long-term vacancies is important now what you will say to me which is the, the right question is all right just because there's only you know this many vacant uh last year doesn't mean that you know during 20 and 2020 we were all in manchester or we all saw manchester you know it's massive massive projects being delivered in 2020 it's absolutely fine let's go back to this where i can show you if we go back to um share screen and we go back to our land registry we can go to manchester we can look at um manchester we can look at new build uh, freehold and leasehold and we can just look at 2020 okay um, show results so we can actually export these but if we if we click on show results we might um, might be able to just get this number up now so what we can do while that's loading um so 624 new builds in manchester and um, were delivered in 2020. So you've got, um, you can add that figure into your numbers. Um, then you can look at things like population growth. So we can pull out population growth if we have it. Um, population growth and density. <clears throat> so this is the next next piece that you want to look at, which is population growth and density. So what we've got so far is we have, we know that if we use Manchester as an example, we know there was you know twelve hundred vacant properties in Manchester. We know that the we've got the population there, wherever that, that figure was five hundred and thirty five thousand, I think it was in the centre. <clears throat> um, we've got that that's quite a low vacancy rate compared to head of population. We've got that it was, um, how many did we say there? Sorry, I'm losing my mind already. 624 um, completions. And then we can go to just, uh, Manchester Central. We don't want the district. Um, and this is another fantastic piece of information that we want all the time. 
So there's two things here that's really important. This is again, population growth density. This is a document you can get online. Um, but what it is, is you get to, um, you get to see the population growth, all right? So uh, what have we got here? Let's just use this cell here. So the center of Manchester. So we're looking at a population growth of about 5,000 people. If you can see that cell there. Um, so population growth of about 5,000 people per annum. Uh, and obviously run these off for all the years and, and look at an average if you want to get into that. But for the purpose of this, let's assume it's 5,000 is the average growth per year. Um, it might be growing at an upward curve, so you might add a little bit on each year. But say we're, we're adding 5,000, we've only added 624 properties. We're, we've got a problem, right? We've got a, we've got a more demand than we do supply, okay? So this is, this is some of the basics that we look at. The other thing that we want to look at, um, which I've actually broken down a little bit on the other screen, which is long-term vacancy. If we can see that. I need to go to it myself. So again, long-term vacancy. Um, here, I've put the population density as well. So on top of, if we're expecting our, our perfect storm, as it were, our, you know, the, the perfect place to invest is people have a lot of money, disposable income, and their disposable income is growing. Um, their disposable income compared to their property, uh, to the average property price is, um, it, is, is quite high. So again, we'll come to that in a second. And then the final one is obviously there's, there's a huge amount of um, people in the city and it's very dense, okay? Because what it means is the more people within a, in a dense um, city, uh, the, the more competition there is for the, for whatever properties come up. If there's more competition and, the, and people can afford it, property prices will grow. Um, so this is where we look at population density. You can also then, if you get a bit more advanced, you can look at population density per age. So obviously younger people coming through, you know, if, if they're retained, so for instance, students or graduates that are retained by the city, if that is growing, you know, you'd expect that, that density of, of property buyers to, to be increased over and over. So, and, and not to push prices up, push rentals up, et cetera. You can see that worldwide when that happens. Um, the, other, the other point that I referenced uh, there as well is what you can do is a little exercise. If I open this last Excel file we were on before, uh, the one that I showed to, uh, I was showing you that my client, myself and my client worked on, um, Right, back to this one. Another little sort of piece of work you can do is look at the average um, property value against the average uh, gross disposable household income for that year. So you can see I've done it here uh, yeah, against books. Um, and you can see the multiple, right? So obviously City of London, very, very expensive. So, uh, which brings us quite nicely to, to, to why um, City of London has slowed, or, or London itself has slowed down. <clears throat> you know, you can also see here Harrow, which we do have developments in Harrow. It's still a great place to invest. But the, the reason why the market has slowed there is not because of any any economic factors or, or you know the facts of the city's not good anymore or anything like that. What's happened is affordability has been maximised. So you can see here 
the average gross disposable household income, or the average property is 16 and a half times the average gross disposable household income in, in 2018. It's very similar now. Um, so we, what we need, the only way that uh, prices can increase there is by salaries increasing or um, the, the lending market fundamentally changing from where it is now, um, which, which we can't see in the future. And, you know, so what, what we're expecting, when, when you're starting to value um, uh, price growth in, if you were to look at London overall, which is, which is a bad habit, you know, you should be breaking it down into sections. But if you looked at London overall, you you can quite with, with quite some confidence expect that the average property growth will track roughly the average salary growth because everything else has been maximized right and um, unless for instance mortgages suddenly allowed you to to mortgage until you were 100 or if mortgages were allowed to be passed down in the will like they are in some countries what that means is then we can start to get a, a higher multiple and people can afford more because their property, their mortgage payments are, are split over a much longer period of time. So again, looking at the average GDHI against the average um, property price, nice little exercise for you to do. It's really straightforward to do, just a, you know pulling a couple of these bits of information together um, and, and that'll, that'll help you out. So the last major factor that we need to look at is access to lending. Um, again, look, I mean, the, the lending part of this, probably not the most interesting piece, but it's, it's very, very important. Um, so again, with, with access to lending, working out how much um, lending is available, you can look at the interbank, ex interbank exchange rate. And to, to go through that is, is probably a whole um, seminar in itself, but you can have a little research into interbank exchange rate or come in and ask me or one of my colleagues. Um, what that effectively does is um, it, it can give you an idea about how much money is available to lend within mortgages. Um, and, and this will change all the time. So, so understanding that can give you an idea of, into, uh, of, of how much money is available to lend. Um, but also then you can look on online. So the Bank of England uh, do reports. I can show, share one with you actually, um, which is this one. Get you back on let me share screen um volume of lending <clears throat> so you you can get something like this which is um the volume of lending within the mortgage market obviously for us we're we're we're, in, we're attached to um various mortgage systems which means we can see the volume of um of searches done by mortgage advisors globally and um, for uk property so we get a little bit more in-depth information, but you can still look at the overall numbers. You're going to be so close anyway to our numbers. And um, if you get your, you know, if you're looking at those figures, even if they are a month behind, you know, the reality of it is that has very little impact on, on your property investment over a five, 10 year period. So it's not going to make much difference to you guys at all. Um, but again, volume of lending is a really, really important factor. So if we've got um, access to money, we've got affordability, and a higher uh, demand than we do supply, we almost always, I mean, the markets will increase, you know, that that's what's gonna happen. Um, so it's a really important one. <clears throat> Again, with lending, you don't wanna see subprime lending as much as, you know, it's great for the market, you know, we'd see properties skyrocket if we went back to, you know, 100% mortgages, 110% mortgages that, that we used to see sort of um, 10, 15 years ago. But 
which is exactly why the market crashed last time. Um, with now, since 2008, pretty much everybody gets, you know, really most people have to put 30% down into a property. And um, if you're an investor, you know, some can do 20 or 25%, but the vast majority of people are doing 30, 35% uh, deposits into their mortgage. What that does is it means our market is protected. There's much, there's much less volatility because if a market did drop a little bit, people aren't panicking and panic selling also means that experienced uh, or inexperienced landlords are not being given huge amounts of money. So as much as it can frustrate us as investors, you know, certainly for, for us that are, are really familiar with, um, with property, um, it, it is much better for the market overall that lending is a little bit stricter. Um, but keeping an eye on lending is, is quite an important factor to predicting property prices in the short and long term. Um, the, the final one then that I did say that we'd look at, um, and I know we've been, uh, I don't want to spend too much time going over this one because I know, I know um, it's quite intensive, this is obviously sentiment. So, you know, the, the last thing is, is, well, what does, what does your neighbor think? Or what, you know, what, what's somebody who's pretty inexperienced in property think about the property market? Now, I, I sort of gave that a caveat at the start that there's a lot of instances where we shouldn't be overly reliant on sentiment because we, we can get carried away with sentiment and on both sides. So for an example, um, re the reality of it is, is that property prices in real terms didn't grow 8% or 6%, whatever the press are putting out at the moment. That's what they're, they're taking sort of figures, they're distorting them, um, sentiment's very, very high, people are overpaying, but the true value of property, what I'm trying to say, hasn't grown that as for the UK overall. Certainly where we're in, where we're investing, you know, certainly the developments we're picking are exceeding that significantly. But what I'm trying to say is the market overall is not, um, what's actually happening is sentiment is very high. People are over, overpaying for stock. You know, the property prices, real true value hasn't increased that much. Um, stamp duty is going to finish at the end of March, um, unless, you know, there's been some calls for extensions of that, but as it stands at the moment, stamp duty will finish, um, at the end of March, um, whereby, you know, stamp duty will go back to what it was previously, then international investors will then be given an extra charge on top of that. So look, with that, whenever tax changes, what, what will happen is, March, say April time, there'll be a slowdown in property purchases. This will be because even though everybody knew they had to buy before March, people won't. Uh, and then people say, you know, people don't buy property or what will happen is sellers will reduce their price to take into account the, um, the, the stamp duty. So they'll come to an agreement with the buyer, either they'll do half or the full amount of the stamp duty difference. What that will do is it'll look like a property price reduction across the UK. Um, and it also mean the volumes of transactions reduce quite significantly. These two things, when transactions reduce, you tend to get um, uh, figures which are can be untrue. So certain areas of the UK, say there's only 15 transactions and you know one's really very high or really very low, it changes the average for that whole area. Um, it's only when you're up at thousands of transactions that you can take some good data out of it. So again, 
with this, my expectation is that we're going to see the market or the press put out that the market has dropped during April, May, June, potentially, um, at which point sentiment will be down. People, um, you sort of mum and dad investors, people sort of that maybe don't have much experience in the market will just hold back. They'll say, all right, that boom's done. You know, we should have got in in, um, you know, last year before when the boom, you know, last boom happened, this 8% we've just been through in uh, the back end of 2020 and the start of 2021. The reality of it is, is that one, that one was never as big as it's been made out to be. And two, the, the one in mid of this year won't be as, as bad. Um, so the, the true value will just continue at a, a, you know, a, a pretty good rate. If we invest in the right areas, we're gonna beat it. If we invest in the bad areas, we might come below the average rate. That, that's it, that, that's the ultimate, um, that's the end of it. Um, so it's just to bear in mind that what that should give you is when sentiment is down, it can give you real advantages, whether it's just an advantage of um, you've got less competition for certain properties or units or what have you, that's great. And um, the other one might be that, well, look, I know what that's valued at, so I want to buy it um, because it's gonna, the market's going to jump back up at the end of this year. You know, that's the expectation. So, so again, buying in during sentiment being low, you know, it is quite, it can be quite useful for you. But again, go back to the numbers that we've just been through. Understand your numbers when other people don't and all they get there. If, if everybody's getting their information from the newspaper, you've got massive, massive advantages. I mean, the newspapers were saying we're going to lose 30% of our property value um, in 20, uh, went with Brexit. Um, you know, it's not happened. Our property values have increased. So by now they said we would have had 30% off or some press run with that. Anybody in the industry knew it was complete nonsense, but again, it can scare certain investors, which gives you an advantage um, and certainly gives us an advantage working with our funds or international investors who aren't seeing the UK press. So again, don't, don't be too um, stuck on sentiment, but if you want to look at sentiment, you can look at the consumer confidence indexes, which are released by the press, by the press, by the government. So consumer confidence index, go and get a copy of that. And the other one that we do within the industry is you can just check uh, Google searches. So what volumes of people are searching for buy-to-let properties in Manchester or buy-to-let properties in the UK? What volume of people are looking for buy-to-let mortgages um, or mortgages just altogether? So you can actually check how many people are searching for these search terms on Google and um, by country or worldwide, what have you. So, Again, the watching whether that's up or down, people tend to search for that less if they're um, if you know if they believe the market's down, they'll search for it more if they believe the market's up, right? So, so again, looking at these these search terms can be really quite. I mean, it can be quite useful if you're trying to use sentiment as well. Sentiment as an investor is only going to benefit you if you're flipping properties, doing very short-term trading. It's not something that as a company we're focused on. So. Um, we're really looking at long-term continuous wealth growth, uh, building portfolios, et cetera, because it, it's a much easier way. Most of our investors are do not have time to be managing the property full time, to be trying to flip things and, and, and all the rest of it. Our clients are looking to invest now, the money that they invested today, remove from the property in five years time because of growth and rental income, reinvest that. And then when they've got two properties working together, it doubles the speed that they can pull the property out, et cetera, or buy another property, et cetera. That's our role. So sentiment is less important. Understanding the basics of the market is more important to us. 
Um, but if you are looking at sentiment, that's how you do it. Okay, so look, I promised you that we'd look at um, some uh, some bits of where we're focusing on. We are, you know, really sort of, we're probably coming to the end of the um, our, our time now. So um, what we will do is we'll, we'll run through these a little bit quicker than maybe I planned to. I've taken a little bit more time um, on... Let me get the map up so I can show you this. I've taken a little bit more time on the on the sort of training aspect of it, but hopefully it, it's quite useful for you. Um, and sort of moving forward, I might be able to use this uh, recording of this particular seminar. At the start of it, we can use that for a, for a bit of training for people. So let me share my screen again. So if we were looking for the, the areas of the UK that we're focusing on um, in 2021, there's, there's some key factors that we should be looking at. One, obviously, we, we've discussed Manchester, um, the parts of Manchester that really are, are going to be quite interesting this year are the outer Manchester stuff. So you've got over towards Trafford. This area, Trafford um, and Stretford around here, are we're going to see significant amount of um, growth in these areas during the course of this year and next year. So if you can buy something in this area um, at decent value, um, it, it's quite, it, you know, it's, it's a very useful area to be buying into. You've got tram links, you've got train links. Um, for those of you who know the area, um, you've got, you, you're, once you come out of the city centre, you've got down here Old Trafford where Manchester United play, but an Old Trafford cricket ground. But Stratford, this area is significant for investment. You've got the Trafford Centre, you've got Manchester City Centre, you've also got Sale, Altrincham and Hale um, just past there. So, so these are particularly interesting areas, excuse me. Um, so these are particularly interesting areas. The other part of Manchester that is we're going to see some more growth in is once you start coming up, um, yeah, coming out, out to this side here. So this sort of um, northeast side of the city. Um, again, we're seeing more and more investment as, uh, I mean, just right in here. So we all know that the, um, obviously the Ancoats investment uh, or the Ancoats investment case, um, we can, so you can see that, you can see that in here, the Ancoats investment case. Northern Quarter um, here obviously made a lot of money already. That's a very, very trendy area of Manchester. Ancoats followed on, New Islington followed on from that. And so now we're looking at, at this area around here, um, which is seeing significant investment from, you know, very, I mean, quite a lot of different investors to be perfectly honest with you. So there's a lot of developments going on there. Expect these areas to be particularly interesting. If we come out of, um, if we come out of Manchester, Birmingham is by far, um, it gives out by far the best indicators for um, growth. I mean, Manchester's superb as well, um, but in terms of indicators of growth, a lot of Birmingham, we've seen uh, a lot of price increase. But again, go back to the data, average property price against average salaries, there's still a lot of room to grow in Birmingham. With the new HS2 line, um, which is coming up there, uh, coming into around, where are we, around here, um, you know, you're going to have the new HS2 here. So uh, Derriton, Digbeth. I mean, this area is pretty much known as Digbeth all around here. This was an area of 
sort of panel beaters and cash and carries and, and fairly, you know, sort of um, unloved area of the city, which has now been significantly um, renovated. You've got to be careful around here that you're not overpaying because there is some, you know, some expensive stock going in there. Um, so be careful you're not overpaying there, but, you, you know, you're going to see some fantastic growth as with the city centre overall. Not we're not just looking at the HS2 for Birmingham, so you don't have to wait, you know, for, for all that time for the HS2 to arrive. Within Birmingham, there's a significant amount of um, metro extensions, tram extensions. Buying on a tram extension is the easiest way to make money in property, um, and Birmingham has the most tram extensions going on at the moment, which is why it's such a exciting city to be buying into. <clears throat> Even if you're a London investor, you only want to buy in London. Honestly, I'd be looking at buying Birmingham um, and then selling in three years and the amount of much more money you will have made on the average against London, you'll be able to buy something better in London in a couple of years. Um, again, we've done very, very well with um, in and around Sheldon, uh, Sully Hill areas. This is the closest areas to the, the first stop of the HS2. So again, and there's tram lines coming down here. Again, really, really important areas to... Um, uh, to, to look at. Um, again, the likes of Buckinghamshire and London. Uh, so Buckinghamshire is an interesting one to us at the moment because the affordability is so high. Problem is population density is quite low. So we will keep an eye on it um, as a potential investment area. And um, so just around here, but um, we're also looking at wider um, London commuter. <clears throat> a lot of this area has already been maximized in terms of affordability. So obviously London was maximized early on quite a few years ago. We all made our money in London. Then we all sort of, you know, everybody was investing around the commuter. A lot of that has been maximized, but there are still some really interesting um, aspects within London. You know, there's some incredible opportunities at the moment while people aren't looking at it. Um, so, you know, don't, don't disregard it. I think you can make, I think as an overall, you can make more money elsewhere, but certainly don't disregard it. Um, and there's the, obviously the, there's the London Docklands uh, extension, uh, line extension, which will be interesting. Again, new transport links means massive growth in property values in that area. So look out for that one. Um, the other sort of tram extensions that we're we're seeing or, you know, the, I mean, there's quite a lot in the UK, so do have a look around, but we're also seeing, uh, where are we, Blackpool uh, extensions here. Not significant enough for us to be that interested in it, but we'll keep an eye on it. Um, Stockport, which is within uh, Greater Manchester, just down here. There's a lot going on there in terms of infrastructure investment. And so it's, a, it's quite an interesting one to us, one that we're focusing on quite a bit or looking at quite a bit. We're not buying there yet, but we're keeping an eye on it. Um, Liverpool, again, in terms of um, as an investment space, this whole Liverpool Waters piece around here is fascinating. If you're not familiar with Liverpool Waters, ask us about it again. Much like I was saying before in Birmingham, be careful not to overpay per square foot here. Um, but this whole area has a really fascinating story behind it. And Liverpool is one of the few sort of major European cities that's priced as low as it is. So again, have a look at Liverpool. Um, we certainly are. We've taken a few developments there. Um, then also sort of some of my clients, some of my smaller clients are looking at um, the likes of Doncaster, Tilbury, 
and Daventry because of the, the major new Amazon centers that are going there. So again, if you're looking at a slightly lower price point, that might be an interest to you. One thing that I would be sensitive about, and it's one of the major factors um, about investing in the UK or anywhere in the world for that matter is, I, I tend to, or as a company in, in terms of your, your numbers, you tend to be much safer investing in areas where there's a, a really good mix of, um, of earnings. So different companies, different industries within the city. Because what it means that if there's a Brexit or the you know, pluses and minuses or, or all the rest of it that go along with it, you've just got this mix going on. You've got, you know, you've got bankers, you've got you know, all, all these different types of people within a city uh, generating value within the city. It tends to mean that your, you know, your ops, your ops will be lower, but your downs will also be lower, and you'll you'll have a much more balanced um, investment. So, you know, I've sort of a prime example, probably the most prime example of that in the UK is Aberdeen, where you know there's so much oil and gas there that when the oil prices up, Aberdeen property prices skyrocket, oil prices down, they, they, they drop. But there's huge amounts of these towns across the across the UK and across the world where they're very, very reliant on one type of industry. I, we just avoid that. So, you know, I don't think it's that, that sensible to be investing in those sorts of areas. So bear that in mind. But it's just to let you know that I know, I know a lot of my investors, we, we've been, you know, buying blocks uh, of apartments for investors and individual units for investors in those areas. So look, that's where I'm going to finish now. Um, we can do a quick Q&A. There's a lot of people on today, um, so you know, bear that in mind. Um, we might not be able to get through to everybody. Um, so look, let, let me have a let me have a look at some of these uh, people here. We can get your questions together now. Um, there has been a couple come through, so we can we can work on those as well. But look, I'll give you sort of ten seconds to to work on the the questions that you have and we can we can answer those the best we can or, or the, sort of very quickly the ones that'll come through